from National Securities Corporation, it's the Agribusiness Advisor Podcast, where we discuss insights and trends from an investment banking perspective with the investors, corporate leaders, and other stakeholders participating in the industries that grow, process, and market the food that we consume. I'm Ivan Saval, and I oversee the Agribusiness and Food Coverage Group, providing capital markets and financial advisory. All podcast episodes are for informational purposes only and are not to be construed as a solicitation of securities. Any thoughts expressed by myself and or our guests are solely our own and are not those of National Securities Corporation. On today's podcast, I'm joined by my good friend Mark Beck, who is the Executive Vice President, Strategy and Insights at U.S. Dairy Export Council. There's a lot going on in the dairy industry, both domestically and globally, and I thought this would be a great time to have a conversation with Mark. Mark is extremely connected in the uh, industry, very well regarded, and uh, has, has great insights into uh, the dairy sector uh, from the midstream to upstream uh, uh, processes. Mark, uh, I think what I'd like to do to start this call is maybe the folks listening would, would appreciate having a better understanding of, of your background. If you could go back as far as you're comfortable going back and just talk a little bit about how, how you got into the dairy space and uh, uh, you know, how you got in the sector and, and, and what your current sort of objectives are today. Yeah, well, thanks a lot, Ivan, for the introduction. Um, yeah, I have actually been in the dairy business since, um, you know, around 1990. Um, I come sort of, if you will, from the business side um, as a, a trader, a merchant of uh, dairy products and commodities. Uh, joined the Dairy Export Council in late 1997 and has been now with uh, the organization coming up this fall on, on 20 years. Um, I have a background in commodity trading. Prior to that, I, um, I was dealing in physical, um, primarily in rice, and um in those days, um, our exports of dairy products were fairly modest. They were pretty much dependent on our old D program. And um, I thought it was a good fit for the business that I was in at the time. And uh, then started trading dairy commodities, mainly physicals, um, and started uh, mainly the export uh, under the D program in the, in the early 90s. So the dairy industry really didn't have much uh, uh, in terms of exports before the U.S. Dairy Export Council was established. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what's different today versus when it was established, what's been accomplished, uh, what are the key markets today for dairy, whether it be powder or cheese or both, who our key trading partners are and why. And and are the sands shifting? Are there any potential uh, developing markets that, that the dairy sector in the U.S. potentially could be focusing on? Yeah, good. Well, a lot is very, very, very different today than it was at the inception when the organization was formed in 1996. Uh, in those days, the U.S. didn't really have much of a value proposition and any, for that matter, um, market exposure. We were primarily reliant upon um, exports under the uh, Dairy Ex- Export Incentive Program, uh, the subsidy program, and then uh, through the food donations. I mean, rapid forward today, um, 15% of uh, U.S. milk production needs to find a home 
uh, outside of the countries in order for us to have a market that's in um, in balance. Also noteworthy, I think, is that in those days, as I indicated, it was primarily relying upon exports of either under food assistance program or a subsidy program, the DEEP program. Uh, that was 98% of our business. Uh, today, um, virtually all our exports are what I call true commercial sales um, that are exported without any export assistance. And uh, coincidentally, our food donations, why they still exist, are a very, very small part of the total volume that goes out. Um, so over the 20-year 20, 20 trajectory, I would probably say that we gradually grew um, from the early 90, uh, from the 95, 96 time through to uh, around 2007, 2008. And that's when, as we had all sort of um, anticipated, uh, there was then a rapid expansion on um, demand from the global marketplace. And from those years on, we have then gradually, year on year, built increased volumes um, that, um, that has been exported. Our primary export market is is Mexico. I, I sort of like to say that um, Mexico is, um, you know, the 51st state of the union from a dairy perspective. We, of course, through the NAFTA agreement, have access duty free into Mexico. They represent a good um, a good third of our exports. Um, our exports there to the tune of 1.6 billion dollars. Um, and that market is absolutely critical for us, and hence the recent issues surrounding the NAFTA agreement <clears throat> is creating somewhat of an anxiety within our industry. Uh, it's a market that we rely upon very uh, very much so in terms of moving our export. But conversely, it's also the Mexicans rely upon uh, our exports to supplement their indigenous milk production. The interesting note um, I think I would make in this context of Mexico back in the late 90s or at the turn of the century, Mexico's uh, import reliance uh, or self-reliance was around 70% of our, uh, their, their domestic demand. Uh, fast forward today, it's pretty much the same ratio. So 30% of dairy consumption needs to be um, uh, generated or processed from imported dairy ingredients. Uh, Southeast Asia is another major market for us um, um, that that we uh, we increasingly uh, are getting a stronger footprint in. Um, of course, North Asia, particularly for for cheese and uh, and whey proteins, into Japan and Korea, very critical markets for us as well. And then another market that we are building. Um, I don't feel that we have gotten to um, realize our full potential in those markets uh, in the uh, in the North Africa Middle East region. These are markets that are highly import dependent, but also consumers that have historically and culturally have a strong affinity to dairy. And uh, I see that there are tremendous opportunities to build upon what we have established in that part of the world. Uh, we see some smaller exports into um, other parts of Latin America and South America. Largely, they are self-sufficient. Um, we see some exports in there of uh, whey and whey proteins, a little bit of cheese. Um, and uh, Africa in itself, a lot of talk about Africa today. Our exports into Africa have not really been that great. Uh, it's a market that we are looking at or a region that we are looking at as a potential new opportunity for dairy exports. Lastly or not, I should, of course, mention, given the current situation that we're having in uh, regards to Canada, 
Canada is a strong market, has been a strong importer of U.S. dairy exports, um, particularly in um, in whey products, as well as the recent uh, that's under controversy, the ultrafiltrated milk, that's now sort of stopped. Um, Canada represents about half a billion, $600 million of exports. And, of course, given the current situation that we have, we are looking at that issue uh, with a great deal of um, seriousness and concern and uh, very much hope that we can uh, reestablish that flow of exports into Canada. The main products that we are exporting, um, milk powder, uh, mainly non-fat dry milk, as we call it here, or internationally as a skim milk powder. Uh, we export roughly 50% of our production. Um, and therefore, in terms of that trade and that export, it becomes very critical that we maintain uh, our market share and our volumes build our volumes along with the increase of milk production that we see. Uh, in cheese, yeah, still only represents maybe around 7 8% of our production, uh, but that's, again, very important. It represents about um, 400,000 tons of product, primarily in the uh, mozzarella pizza cheese type, but also uh, very heavily on fresh curd or cheddar that's moving into um, further processing in a number of markets. Um, Whey proteins, uh, from sweet whey and through the fractionations today, we export probably around 45 to 48% of our production. Therefore, very critical that we maintain that export. Uh, very many segments. China is our largest market. Very important. A lot of that goes into the feed application, but increasingly we are seeing greater penetration into um, to food applications. And last but not least, um, I think I should highlight lactose, very critical export. Um, that's moving, that we need to move overseas, about 70%, uh, 68, 70% of our production needs to find a, uh, a home overseas. When it comes to the individual dairy company that's contemplating whether or not to deploy capital toward a powder plant or a cheese plant, um, I know a few years ago there were there were some signs or indications, uh, you know, look at class three, class four pricing that perhaps it would make sense to divert capital investment toward a powder plant as opposed to a cheese plant. So there were many conversations in the cheese industry as to whether or not they should diversify uh, into powder production. What What is sort of the state of the dairy industry today as it relates to that potential market in China? And is it influencing any decisions? Uh, are we seeing more cheese capacity come online for export or, or powder? Well, I think there's there's a lot of deliberation that's going on right now with the continued increase in our milk production. There clearly has to be made some decisions within the industry on where they are going to invest and in what what product segments they, they they need to invest. You're absolutely correct. Five six years ago. Uh, on the basis of the protein boom um, and the very strong market we had in those days for, for milk powder, um, there was an attraction to get into the milk powder business. And uh, some people did make, um, and there was some investments made both in the United States as well as elsewhere, particularly in Europe. A lot of stainless steel was put up just before they uh, went into their um, code abolition in 2015. A lot of investment in uh, in powder plants. I'll probably say today that I think from a U.S. perspective, there, there there's a need to probably look very seriously at the cheese side. I think we have some inherent strength in the cheese business. Um, but 
we also are going to have to recognize that investment decisions that's now going to have to be made, whether they're going to be in powder, whether they're going to be in, in powder butter, or whether they're going to be in, in, in cheese and whey. And whey markets have shown to be constantly moving, so that gets an attractiveness as it relates to, um, you know, a cheese plant. Um, I think we had a point. Um, clearly, you invest in the powder 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 operation. You got to have to understand that you are now investing in in servicing the global market and not just the U.S. market. Uh, if you invest in cheese, yes, of course, we have a strong domestic uh, cheese market here. But I think we had a point now where any deliberations and decisions as it relates to investment in that has to factor in that a certain part of that production needs to be marketed overseas. Yeah. So no, to, today, today, I think probably there's more more of a look at 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 a possible scenario of investing in in cheese plant, particularly with the migration of our milk into the towards the more center of the country, away from the uh, production expansion that we had about ten to ten to eight to ten years ago on the west west coast. That's more part of butter um, aligned. I've been talking with Mark Beck, Executive Vice President of Strategy and Insights at the U.S. Dairy Export Council. You know, aside from sort of commodity side of dairy, the, the, the cheese uh, for, for restaurants and wholesale, the large blocks and, and the powder, there seems to be over the last several years a lot of activity from mergers and acquisitions perspective from some of the largest dairies by sort of higher margin growth, organic uh, or natural or uh, sports nutrition type products. You know, we look at Glambia, uh, we look at the Arla, uh, Friesland, BFA, uh, Dan, and they're all, Nestle, they're all expanding through the M&A product. And, and there's been somewhat of, a, you know, a fairly hyper level of consolidation in the dairy space with these branded type products. What's your view on on that trend continuing? And since the dairy industry is somewhat characterized as 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 being supported and produced through a different business structure, i.e., the cooperative, if we sort of bifurcate cooperatives and stock companies that are in the dairy sector, how do you see the co-ops competing with with non-co-ops? To, to capture margin and to really see growth. Yeah, that's that's actually uh, I think that's a, a million dollar question, no pun intended here, and 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 uh, an issue that that cooperatives in particular needs to struggle with. We have seen um, over the last many years, ten, twelve years, we've seen um, uh, a transformation of the traditional cooperatives. I would I would suggest. Um, partly, you've seen it out of uh, in New Zealand by Fonterra, uh, that's now operating a, a, a business model that looks to obviously maximizing or providing a strong milk price to its farmer ownership, but then also um, looking to have one of their performance measures based upon um, providing um, you know a dividend of of, um, of uh, capital. Uh, you see the same thing in, in with Friesen Campina, and you see it, the same thing sort of with Ala, um, that are now looking to um, 
to make sure that not only do they perform against providing a milk price to their owner stakeholders, but also um, make sure that they generate um, revenue and profits that can be retained in the organization for capital investments um, in all aspects of, of, of the business stream, uh, not only stainless steel and, and, and expansion, but also stronger investment into R&D and innovation and developing the fractionated dairy products, as you alluded to, particularly in the protein space, um, as well as in new um, new forms of delivering dairy nutrition um, through different food service and um, and retail products. And I think the, the most stellar example of that been, has been the whole explosion that we've seen here as well uh, around the yogurt category. Um, I, I think that that is a trend that's going to continue. Um, I think given the, um, the capital intensity that, that, that they are, uh, that is involved in, in dairy that we will see over the next five to eight years, we are going to see some changes within the industry. Um, I'm not going to suggest that that is formed, um, through proprietary type of organization versus cooperatives. I think cooperatives will evolve and become more of a hybrid into what we use today as now as a PLC. Um, and it's going to be driven by um, the pressures on the business to um, uh, deliver returns, moving up to margins, and also having the ability to invest in a fairly capital-intensive type of an industry, not only through and equipment, but also uh, nutrition research, both within uh, nutrition as well as in um, new product application and product development. You know, given your trading background, Mark, I'd be curious to get your your thoughts on, on why the dairy sector is as volatile as it is. You look across the spectrum of many commodities, surprisingly, you know, the dairy industry is uh, as volatile or, or more volatile than many commodities. Is, is that primarily attributed simply to the fact that it's so perishable or are there other items that are influencing it, such as policy risk and uncertainty around government policies and, and such? Well, uh, I mean, I'll probably suggest all of the above, but if you go back and look in the rearview mirror, I mean, um, our industry of the global dairy industry was a reasonably stable in terms of its price movements. Um, and that was really a function to a large extent of a market that was was generally in a for many years in a in a surplus mode and then underpinned by various um, support mechanisms in Europe as well as as here, not only just a few years ago, I mean until the last farm bill. We essentially had a price support system here that provided, you know, some degree of uh, of, of um, stability. Uh, that, but not just because of that. I think also the advent of a very rapid demand expansion and followed thereby a very aggressive production expansion that we've seen throughout most of the milk sheds in the world. Uh, you are now in a in a market that is very, very sensitive and very tightly calibrated. Uh, and that means the volatility is exasperated by uh, overshoots, if you will, on production relative to current demand and conversely the other way around. Um, 
undershoots, meaning essentially where you see um, production uh, curtailing because of market signals or um, weather events, um, that you then see these high um, high uh, gyrations in, in prices. I actually also, quite frankly, think, and this is a personal opinion, that dairy, the dairy business, is wrought with a huge amount of emotion. Um, the fact of the fact that we run very short cycles uh, relative to the perishability of the product um, has exasperated that. Now, is this a good situation or a bad situation? Uh, I don't think it's either or. It's, it's, it's just a reality check. Um, but these things can, through um, uh, mechanisms, um, uh, and we've seen the rapid evolution of um, products and derivatives that are now available for the industry to manage these volatilities and these risks. Um, so, um, so it's. I think it's. It's just a simple reality, and and the best operators will understand and recognize that reality. And do the best to uh, to mitigate the exposure of these extremes that we have seen over the last um, couple of five years. Um, we only have to go back to the season of 13, 14, three, four years ago, where we had you know record high prices, and we can look at what's happened today. Is that we are in in a bit of a trough? We coming out of a trough a bit, um, but. The difference in the values, with the exception of butterfat, of course, that's going on right now, um, market prices are today reasonably stable in a reasonable plateau um, that would allow for some degree of profitability through the supply chain. I'm not arguing that we are in a good situation. I think particularly the returns back on a milk check to farmers today is under a bit of um, bit of duress. Many leaders in the ag space across all the segments, whether it be dairy or some other agricultural production enterprise, uh, leadership are evaluating their business model and any impact, if any, uh, the current administration might have on, on the underlying fundamentals of their business, especially as it relates to, to trade. What conversations uh, are you having or what are you hearing in the dairy industry uh, on, on how dairy business models are sort of calibrating their focus under uh, a current Trump administration? Well, a good question, Ivan. And I, and I think there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of things that's wrapped into this here. Um, there is um, there's some concern. Uh, maybe even in certain quarters, some anxieties about some of the signals that come out, notably first the withdrawal from the TPP agreement. Um, that was a disappointment for us as an industry. Um, notwithstanding, that has now happened. Uh, there's been all the, the noise and the rhetoric around NAFTA. Um, that's been of concern. We have seen um, the actions taken by the Canadians basically blocking a $100 million business of ultra-filtrated milk going into Canada, um, subjectively so, with possibly a questionable measures. Uh, these, uh, all of these things now um, are putting, um, you know, if you will, pressure or some concern within the industry. Yet we've seen the latest signal is that the administration now is 
talking about engaging in a quick and very rapid engagement with uh, NAFTA partners, particularly Mexico. And um, I think that there is a stronger recognition within the administration that agriculture as a large block is critically important for the welfare of the industry. Uh, not only dairy, but beyond that, that they will, um, they will take that into account. Um, the TPP situation, um, you know, is, is concerning. Um, we are getting the signals that uh, the administration seems to favor bilaterals. And um, we uh, want to encourage and we want to push um, our administrations to, um, to become very proactive. Uh, arguments can be made that we have a very businesslike administration. And clearly, if that's what it has, they will understand the need for very expedient looking at um, bilateral. It's critical for, for dairy. Um, we've seen our competitors um, in the last couple of years uh, very aggressively, both the Europeans as well as the New Zealanders, um, looking for bilateral trade agreements where they are going to have, by mere uh, result of these trade agreements, competitive advantages in terms of uh, lower duty access into these markets. And ultimately, that's a bottom line implication. And we would love to see um, uh, you know, a very proactive, very aggressive um, trade agenda by the, the the administration that would allow us to um, continue building on the momentum um, of uh, expanding our, our exports of, of dairy products, which, if I may interject here, I think will become very critical because if you look at the trajectory of our milk production growth, um, we will not be far off when the pool of milk that today is a 15% of our solids produced, uh, needs to get to a higher niveau, even with some degree of a demand expansion in, in the domestic market. And we will need to actually uh, increase our exports and our footprint globally. And that is going to be happening in a much tighter and much more fierce um, competitive environment uh, than we've actually seen in my view, over the last couple of years as we have grown our exports. Mark, thank you very much for your time. I realize you have a busy schedule and you're a hard man to track down. So very much appreciate you taking this time. And uh, I look forward to seeing you uh, in the near future. Thank you. Thank you, Ivan, and I appreciate the opportunity. This discussion has been brought to you by the Agribusiness Advisor Podcast, sponsored by National Securities Corporation, a full-service investment banking firm, member FINRA. Please stay tuned for future conversations with leadership in the agribusiness sectors. If you have comments, questions, please feel free to reach out, and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you, and here's to next time.